0: This is Creative Mornings, a podcast showcasing the global creative community. This episode is brought to you by Camp Tech. Camp Tech offers practical in-person tech workshops for adults in Toronto, Ottawa, and Vancouver. Can't make it to a workshop? Check out the Camp Tech podcast. It covers modern technology in an approachable way for a non-technical audience. Subscribe in iTunes or listen online at camptech.ca. This episode is also brought to you by MailChimp. With over 15 million users around the world... MailChimp offers features and integrations that help you send beautiful and powerful marketing emails, automated messages, and targeted campaigns. It's totally free to get started, no expiring trial, and no credit card required. Learn more at MailChimp.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Creative Mornings podcast. This is Matt, and this week, our featured talk comes from Creative Mornings in Louisville, Kentucky. Our speaker goes by the moniker 1200 when he's performing on stage, but his real name is Jacory Arthur. And when he's not performing or composing, he's a music educator at Height Elementary School in Louisville, where he was kind enough to Skype with me before the day began at 9 a.m.
1: This is what we call the planning period. Okay. So this is where I prepare for lessons, usually in the future, or uh, as of today, you know, kind of just making sure everything that I, I need for the materials, curriculum is all together. But I just had a percussion ensemble rehearsal before school.
0: A percussion ensemble rehearsal? Yeah. H- how many kids are in that?
1: 30, 31. I have 10 in each grade level, except for the
0: third grader there's 11. There's one little guy that I just... I thought it could really help them out,
1: so I added them to the group <laughs> to go through this audition process.
0: And aside from the daily lessons that you're teaching these guys, um, are they working towards like an annual performance or something?
1: They perform multiple times throughout the year in and out of Louisville, different venues. So they originated and were inspired by Stomp, which is, you know, the, the big raving percussion, percussion that was really popular in the 90s. From there, they were created... And almost kind of in in comparison to that, you know, they're just third, fourth and fifth graders. So I don't think it ever got to its full potential. And now I'm here and I'm, I'm trying to make that happen. But a lot of ensembles like this don't read music. They learn by rote, they learn by ear. So what's special about this ensemble is that they're they're learning to read music and they're performing from actual notation. And then also, they're called the Junkyard hawks, so it's not just your regular traditional percussion ensemble. Like Stomp, they make instruments out of found objects. Right. So the overall goal is to just teach them you can make something out of nothing. And then, of course, with the music, we can bring people together. I I usually have them perform concerts outside of their norm pretty often so that they can connect with other people from different backgrounds.
0: Yeah. And so you're a performer as well. What came first for you? Was it performing or or teaching
1: you know it's funny because a lot of people ask me what would I rather do but no one ever has, has ever asked me what I've done first <laughs> it's funny you ask me that I was performing as a percussionist since I was younger and I didn't start teaching or think about teaching until I left high school so I definitely was a performer first I didn't start performing hip-hop until later years in college so I was like a junior in college I think so with the whole hip-hop thing, I guess I was kind of shy. I mean, I did my school talent show. Work, but beyond that, I never really put myself out there to, to perform, you know, pop music at all. It was always just kind of, I was a percussionist in the concert band, that kind of thing.
0: And so what do you find the balance like with doing both of those things? Being a teacher doesn't exactly leave you to the nightlife and, and that type of lifestyle. I only
1: perform in a situation, in a venue, at a concert if I care about it. So it's never been about money to me. It's never been about having a bigger fan base. It's all based on the goal, the mission of what that event is. I was in New York last week. Oh, wow. For the 92nd Street Wide Musical Introduction Series. Very cool. I had six concerts in a row and there were over 5,000 kids at the course of those concerts and they were studying hip hop. I was the first Hip hop artists that was a part of a unit for their musical introduction series. So that was something I obviously cared about was to teach these kids about hip hop. And a lot of times people stray away from hip hop because it has this negative connotation. Well, you know, I don't curse when I perform, I don't curse in my in my recording. So for them to be exposed to that kind of music and then also realize he's a teacher, he's also a classical musician, it was important for those kids to understand that the genres of music that you look at aren't always on the surface level of what you might think they are. Mm -hmm. Another really negative connotation with hip-hop is as a performer outside of school and for people to ask what would I rather do, they wouldn't be asking that question if I was a teacher and then I had like piano gigs on the side. Totally. You know, they're only saying that because I do hip-hop and they think that every hip-hop artist wants to be some famous, rich, snobby person, you know, but that's
0: not me. And this 92nd Street Y gig... Was that just for children? By far the
1: best audience I've ever had. (laughs) They were very enthusiastic about being there. They knew a lot of the words to the songs and were hyped the entire time. The energy and love in that room was intense.
0: And you were playing all originals?
1: Yeah, all original music, except I think after the first day of shows, I asked my DJ to add in this Little Einsteins (laughs) remix, just because I DJ at school every now and then. I play that, and the kids love it. So... He added that in, and and we took it to the next level.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So when does Creative Mornings come into the picture for you? How does this come about? He just contacted me and said, would you like to speak? And I said, let's do it. (laughs) I had never been before
1: because, of course, it's in the mornings. on Friday morning, so I, I wasn't out of school. But my principal is very supportive of everything I do within the school and outside of the school, so she granted me permission to go and participate.
0: Yeah, and that brings up a good point that you and I were discussing prior to this call about how teaching is such an early gig that a lot of teachers miss out on the opportunity to attend Creative Mornings events. This might be something we need to figure out a solution for.
1: That would be wonderful because every teacher I know is either very creative or not creative at all. <laughs> so so they, some teachers really need that. Even the creative ones need that just to see someone else have a different perspective on life and be around some some young cats who are who are doing different things.
0: Jacory Arthur is only 24 years old, and hearing his passion for teaching music in elementary schools gives me a lot of hope and I hope it does the same for you. There's more from our conversation after the talk, but right now, here's Jacory Arthur from September of 2015 when the Creative Mornings global theme was action. Enjoy. Thank you, Ben.
1: Good morning. I was actually surprised at how many of you said good morning back, you know. (laughs) So creative mornings, I love the idea of this creative community, people coming together to listen, analyze, think and talk. And Ben sent me videos and I did a little bit of research about what this is all about. And one of the videos, this guy said, maybe I could go up there and just stand in silence for 20 minutes. And I thought about that, because I'm really into minimalism. I was just talking to Michael Powell about minimalism, but then I thought that would suck, you know, you wake up early, (laughs) you come to Copper and Kings, and I just stand here in silence. So I won't be doing that, you know, this guy might, but not me. So today, I'm basically covering four different talking points. Not enough time to talk about everything I've ever done in life and engage with you the way I want to, so we'll put it into four different categories. And this basically defines who I am, my life, what I do, what I take part in. Education, composition, performance, and curation. My friend Dave Duran said that the word curate and curation is overused nowadays, and I blame myself because I use it all the time. So (laughs) I'm not curating a museum, I'm talking about design, creativity, visually. I brought four props, and it was either this or make some sort of PowerPoint keynote Prezi. Ben told me that a lot of people do that to just have some sort of visual aesthetic. And I was thinking, man, you must have had some really unattractive speakers in the past. So, (laughs) No offense, but I'd rather go the prop route. So I brought four props with me. This is Steve Rambo. He's at all of my performances. This is my microphone stand. And he will represent performance. This is a Lego man and he will represent curation. This is a 12-track digital recording studio, and this will represent composition. And the hoodie I'm wearing will represent education. So with curation, I would say that these aren't even necessarily props but really significant items that took a part in my life and brought me to where I am today. This guy may be more important than every other item up here. I was very young when I started playing with Legos and don't get me wrong, I loved other toys. I had all sorts of Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers and whatnot, but something about molding and changing the toys that I had struck me as different. It kind of reflected the world around me. I grew up in the west end of Louisville, a place where a lot of people feel as if you can't beat the stereotype. You can't make it out unless you die or go to jail. And that's not true. So I grew up with these Legos. I didn't have any siblings for years and years and years. And I just created, I built cities. And I used to always get these Lego magazines. And it had all of these kids from around the world making different things. And I never got in the magazine, you know, I was kind of salty about that. But (laughs) I thought it was so cool that you had kids making their own worlds and not even just an imaginary world, just trying to take themselves out of a situation that they were in and do something different with these little structures, with these little Lego men. And I think back to like the Ninja Turtles and the Power Rangers, those were cool and all, but you can take their hands off, you can take their legs off. You can take his head off. So that's like completely customized Lego man. His body's like Indiana Jones and then his head looks like a knight or something from like the medieval world. So I always thought that Legos were really important and they go back to the whole idea of just taking yourself out of a world. And between that and going to music, I went through all of these different phases. At one point I saw Fast and the Furious and I wanted to be a race car driver, like a street car driver, but I didn't know that was illegal. You know, <laughs> and I still kind of don't know that's illegal. you have a lot of speeding tickets. So between that, Fast and the Furious, you know, I, I wanted to be an astronaut at one point. I wanted to be an architect. I wanted to be all of these different things, but they always related back to creating. Even with the model cars, how can you change the car? You know, change the rims, change the vinyl on the side, or with the architecture, how can this building look? What does it look like? next to this building, or next to this McDonald's, there's McDonald's everywhere, you know, so you gotta think about that. And I found music. A lot of you know, if you know me, I saw the movie Drumline, and that kind of kicked off this this enforcement of, music is powerful, it impacts the crowd, it impacts an audience. So I saw that movie, and I wanted to be in the drumline. So I got to middle school, and my band director, Lauren Maxey, I'll never forget, I was awful to her. Wait a minute. I got in middle school and we started a band, and it was nothing like the movie Drumline. You know, we were playing Hot Cross Buns, and I was like, "What is this? This is whack." You know, so I think that going through that hardship in middle school and high school was really important for me to realize you have to take what you have and change it and mold it, just like when I was playing with the Legos. You have to make the best out of some sort of situation. I don't think that anyone in this room, anyone you ever meet, will be the best at what they want to be, reading a book or watching some sort of documentary. I think that everything in life is all about experience. You have to go out there and live it. You have to commit this action, so to speak. So I went through band. I did the whole band thing for a while. And it wasn't until I was about to graduate high school that I realized I don't know what I want to do with the rest of my life besides music. Thought about being an astronaut, didn't really work out, I'm still on Earth. So, music really saved me and took me to another place. And rewind back to before I even got to high school, that's where the whole composition thing came into play. This is called the Korg D1200 MK2. And you notice, 1,200, that's where my nickname came from. I purchased this when I was 12 years old. Before I was a teenager, I was trying to produce and engineer music. Very significant item because I didn't have anyone in my life to show me that, to show me the ropes, to teach me. I didn't have a book, a manual, some sort of documentary to watch. And it goes back to the whole idea of action. I had to just sit down and learn on my own. This item came to me when I escaped those childhood desires of wanting to just play and everything being imaginary. So instead of just making this world and imagining it, I had a new world to actually be in. I could actually record, I could actually produce. And I was self-taught and I did that. And I think it's so important and so vital for people to learn something and be self-taught. Just by a show of hands, how many people in the room have taught yourself something, whether it was to produce, walk, you know, whatever the case may be, just something of some sort. That's so important. There's a lot of information you might miss from the people who know what they're doing professionally, but the fact that you can sit down and experience something and learn it on your own is so important. I was in this graduate research class and we watched these videos about some random location and they had computers placed in these villages. They didn't even have electricity. They had these boxes and they had computers in them. And these kids would come to these computers every day. Couldn't even speak English. Could barely walk, but they would come to these computers and over a course of time, they learned how to search the World Wide Web. They learned how to type. They learned how to play games. And that just goes to show you that no matter what age you are, no matter what experience you have, you can be self-taught in any way, shape, or form. So the idea of composition and relating it to the core of D1200 is very important. And it takes a certain amount of passion to even make that leap. I was saving up money from Christmas and my birthdays for like two years before I bought this. It's kind of scary. What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? Money. It's like, what are you getting? You're a drug addict? No, I'm not. So (laughs) (laughs) it was kind of weird, like asking that for two years straight and then saving that money up Just to purchase this, not really knowing what I was doing at all, but doing it anyway. Very vital, very important. Now, another reason I didn't want to have some sort of visual representation of what I'm talking about is because they all relate to each other. So I'll be jumping around a lot. So if you've seen me perform, it's kind of the same idea, same thing. The composition relates to the performance. And just by a show of hands, how many people have seen me perform? Thank you so much for coming out to the shows. Uh, A lot of you haven't, so I guess I'll perform like a little snippet or something. This song is called Resurrection, and this is just the second verse of it, so I'll just perform a little bit of it. I show up to events by myself. Never mind, I brought Benjamin. Him and Grant have plenty twins. I resurrect them dead presidents. I resurrect Oladrion. And I resurrect McKeeba Lee, both lives lost in the streets. So I resurrect them when I feel the beat. I resurrect my uncle Fred and I resurrect Michael Newby. Uncle died on my birthday. Newbie died before he really knew me. I resurrected Clay Brooks Brothers. Jamal DeMar, God bless your mother. I resurrect Aaron Shields too. I can't imagine how your parents suffer. I resurrect Marco, Deshaun, Quan, PJ, Pinky and my nanny. I miss all my fallen friends and family. I'm a resurrect you at the Grammys. A lot of people say thug now like I'm really just supposed to be offended. Tupac screamed thug life. I dare you to say he was a menace. He changed the world and you didn't He deserves a whole book of Guinness And I am reincarnation walking If they gifted, I'm the new Christmas When I die, celebrate my life Don't wear black, wear all white Put 1,200 roses in my casket Have a gold holy grail for my ashes When I die, don't bury me Have a concert in the KFC Young, everybody going dumb Everybody dancing till their bones go numb um, I'm resurrected and so well respected I can influence what man's elected Cause I'm well connected and the world's affected When I teach these lessons, 9,000 blessings I ain't really playing with your simples. See both sides to the middle. I solved all riddles. They kill trade for some skittles. They pop black heads like pimples. No rice, just pimples. Every time it's a quitter, they belittle the committal to a fair. Just if a simple trap out with your swivel. So I'll pair a on these tracks to these fiddles. So you know every twiddle ain't a piddle. I'm official. So the idea of composition. <laughs> Thank you. So the idea of composition is important and it goes back to the whole idea of being creative. You have to just take something and make it into what it is. So Steve here, he just stands at shows. He doesn't really do anything. He's just a visual aid to me, you know. And he was purchased because I was just in Hobby Lobby with my friend Lauren like four (laughs) hours. (laughs) And we were trying to find some, you know, stage dressing and some prop stuff for the show at Headliners I do with Jalen and We couldn't find anything, and I kept walking by these styrofoam heads. And I was like, man, we can't be in the store for four hours and leave and not get anything. So I just bought this head. And and for a while, he just sat in my closet, like in the top. So every time I got some clothes, like, what's up? You know, it's kind of scary. (laughs) And then I just put him on his microphone stand and now he's here. So Steve has no real purpose other than to remind you of the performance aspect of my life And I wanted to bring a marimba in here, but a 5 octave marimba probably didn't fit on the elevator to get up here. So maybe next time you see me, I'll be able to play a little marimba. But anyway, this is Steve. Everyone say hi, Steve. Hi, Steve. He's shy, so he won't talk back. (laughs) And then the last item is my hoodie. Very significant. If you see, Junkyard Hawks you know, Music Ensemble, Hype Elementary School. That is where I teach. And the Junkyard Hawks is a percussion ensemble and they're called the Junkyard Hawks because they make instruments out of junk, out of anything. And it goes back to the idea of just taking something that you have, doing something creative with it, making music, making something your own. I didn't come here today to tell you 10 steps to be successful. That's not really me. I didn't come here to tell you how to be the best teacher, how to be the best composer, performer, curator. It doesn't matter, I came here to tell you that you simply have to find something out on your own. You have to experience something on your own. Going through college, especially grad school, there were so many research and learning theories that had all of these different ideas of the way that things should be There's this guy named Piaget. He thinks that learning should come from individual constructivism. You have to go out in the world and do this and do that. And then um, Vygotsky, he talks about you have to interact with other people. All these different theories. And at the end of the day, they all kind of just work together. There's no one right way. There's no one documentary you can watch. There's no one manual or how-to guide to make your life the best it can be, besides you just going out and experiencing something on your own. So no matter what you take from this, it's not direction, it's not a focused way of me telling you, you need to do this, you need to do that in order to be the best whatever. Each and every single one of you has your own path in life, whatever you think that might be. You you might wanna be an astronaut like me, And still not too late, but you have to figure it out on your own. You have to go out there and play with Legos. You have to go out there and take risks. You have to save up your money and buy a digital recording studio. You have to do anything that you can possibly do in life to figure out what is the best way for you to become what you want to be exactly. When I'm teaching, I try to engage the kids. Everything turns into some sort of game. So I'm going to try that with you guys. <laughs> so we call this level one in elementary school. It's whispering. So look at the person next to you. And I want you to just start whispering and have like a little conversation with them. Let's go for it. Into it, they're into it, it turns into some sort of game. And a lot of times I say it, i want to embarrass myself this morning and do that. And you think about that, the educational side of everything, and how directly it relates to the performance side of everything. If you see me perform, always different elements of engagement, whether it's call and response, like the clapping, or having the audience actually just make it up and sing their own things. So the performance, and the education really go hand in hand. And then if you think about it, how can you really have the performance aspect without the composition initially? And then with curation, like I said at Dayton, curate is used over and over and over, really goes hand in hand with the idea of composing, except maybe you're thinking about visual artists or something like that, a museum of some sort. But what is a museum? You go, you look at art. What is a concert, you go, you listen to music. So they're one and the same. And all of these things tie in together, and they go into that idea of action. You have to do something, you have to affect the world in some way, shape, or form. And if you don't live for that, in this day and age, it's almost like you're not living at all. I said I played with Legos, and I wanted to create to some capacity, because I like changing them, I like taking their heads off. It's kind of creepy. I like changing and molding my toys. So I like changing and molding music, doing something different. Changing and molding education, doing something different in the classroom. So how can you live in a world, how can you complain, think about something, say something negative about it, and not have the desire to change it? There's no reason why each and every one of us can't speak at a great voice. I think we all possess Creativity, everyone in the world wants to change it, that's how And again, I'm not here to tell you how to change it, but only to tell you that you have to figure out the best way based on your experience, based on the action that you commit to
0: change it. More from my conversation with Jakori in a minute, but first, we have to take care of some business. And this week's episode is made possible by MailChimp.
2: In the old days, and I've been doing it long enough to know, um, I used to have to call people.
0: That's Jenny Britton-Bauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Cream, who just dated herself as an ice cream maker since before the dawn of email.
2: Oh man, I have been making ice cream for more than half of my life, professionally. I quit art school. I literally walked out of figure drawing class to go make ice cream.
0: Which actually isn't surprising because the way Jenny's approaches ice cream is a lot like working with a blank canvas.
2: Oh, it absolutely, it is like a, like a blank canvas. It's In fact, I have a, a creative team around me, so on this team we create all of our new flavors, We do all of our photography. We do all of our copywriting. And so we take it all really seriously, like art. I mean, we love doing the emails. I think that's one of the things that MailChimp allows us to do. It's not like a huge communication team. I mean, it's literally me often writing the emails and then Ryan, you know, and Chelsea putting them out into the world.
0: Which, let's face it, is a lot easier than calling all of your customers to tell them about a new flavor.
2: Yeah. So once we got plugged into MailChimp, the first thing we realized is that they're really kindred spirits to us. They think about email the same way we think about ice cream like that they're never satisfied, they're always pushing, they're always looking for ways to get better as they grow. That is exactly what we do every day at Jenny's. You know, and it's both fun for us, challenge and fun, but it's great for our customers, obviously, too.
0: With over 15 million users around the world, MailChimp offers features and integrations that help you send beautiful and powerful marketing emails, automated messages, and targeted campaigns. It's totally free to get started, no expiring trial, and no credit card required. Learn more at MailChimp.com. So what was your music education like? No music education in elementary school. Oh, wow.
1: Which is crazy you know, and very ironic that I'm teaching in one now. But I didn't have any music education in elementary school. And then I got to the sixth grade, joined concert band. And from there, I had stayed in band. I don't know why, because I I didn't even like it. I just felt like I was doing it because I know deep down inside, I wanted to learn more about music. But I didn't feel like I was growing as a musician. And my teachers try their very best to motivate me. But a lot of times, public education, music educators end up in situations where they weren't given the skill set to communicate properly or to motivate and inspire students that are from different backgrounds from them. So for someone who grew up listening to hip hop only, R&B only, gospel only, and then you put me in concert band and we're playing Hot Cross Buns or Mary Had a (laughs) Little Lamb. Right. There's a huge cultural disconnect. Because, you know, of course, I was a kid, but I didn't have a music education didn't have that music education exposure at a young age. So I missed out on a lot. And I'm realizing that as I teach elementary kids, there's songs, you know, there's repertoire that I just don't have recollection of. And I'm learning this now and I'm teaching it to them. And it's like I'm getting my childhood back.
0: Right. And do you feel like the music curriculum is way outdated? Because I'm with you. I'm a self-taught musician as well. And my first experience with guitar was like age nine, and I was being taught those same songs that no kid wants to learn, and I'm more than 10 years older than you, so I'm sure someone 10 years older than me feels the same way, you know?
1: In some aspects, absolutely, but at the same time, it's constantly being updated. So it's it's absurd to think that it's outdated, because it's constantly being updated, but I don't believe the people who are updating it, the people who are making revisions to the curriculum are necessarily well versed in every culture's music, every culture's arts. Mm-hmm. So, yes and no. It's segregated. Okay. More, th- more than anything.
0: We should change that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, kind of a random question, but you mentioned Legos often in your talk. And I'm curious if you could make yourself into a Lego, what would it consist of?
1: Astronaut helmet,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Indiana Jones jacket, <laughs> okay, uh, a sword. If I could put a crown on top of the astronaut helmet, I would. I would be like a, a king <laughs> or a knight with the with the helmet on. But uh Spider Man glove. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Did you say Spider Man glove? <laughs> yeah, and a snowboard. <laughs> awesome. The feet. Thanks. Thanks for playing along with that. Uh, last question is how we end every episode. If you could go back ten years and meet yourself. What's one thing you would share with him?
1: I was 14. Um, I don't know how close this was to being 14, but I wrecked my car leaving a gas station. This is my first car, and I would just tell myself not to back up, not to leave the car in reverse. Watch <laughs> watch where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like that wreck that I that I caused on my, you know, on, my, on myself was the the foreshadowing of a lot of things that occurred throughout my teenage life. Totally. Yeah. So self-inflicted wreckage.
0: (laughs) right. That was actually really impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think you, you might've just gone through some therapy. You might've figured out some things. Exactly. Well, Hey man, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, you're doing amazing work. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you. And, uh, hit us up next time you're in New York city. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Peace. Hey, are you liking the show? If so, leave us a review on the iTunes podcast page. You can find us at Creative Mornings. It's one word. Well, I guess if you're listening, you've already found us. But anyway, go do it. Thanks. Next week, we'll hear from our first ever returning guest, author and motivational speaker, Simon Sinek. I don't want you to jump from job to job to job to job. You will never find what you're looking for. It's not a scavenger hunt. I don't want you to go from relationship to
1: relationship to relationship. What I want you to do is stand up and demand that the places in which
0: you work lead you properly. Our thanks to Jacory, Arthur, and everyone at Creative Mornings. This episode was produced and edited by S. Mateo with sound engineering, mixing, and original score by Devin C. Johnson at Little Library Studios in collaboration with S. Mateo Music. This week's Rooster comes courtesy of Hayden in Portland, Oregon. Follow us on Twitter at Creative Morning. Remember, it's singular. And use hashtag podcastcm when you tweet at us. For a complete archive of talks or just to get involved, Go to creativemornings.com.